Thanks, young people. Do you know that was truly young people? All those young people leading us in worship today were 20 or under. Except for my wife, I think. She looks 20, but... You know, I think back, I came to this church five years ago. So those 20-year-olds were 15. Those 12-year-olds were 7. You know, and just to see how that now they're actually experiencing leading a congregation into worship in a very powerful way, I think is beautiful. And it really tells what our church is about. It's about us discipling our young people, teaching them that worship is about participation. It's not about entertainment. It's not about coming and being entertained, but it's about us contributing. And, um, you know, I appreciate everybody that contributes to make this church happen every week. There's so much that goes behind the scenes. And it's all done. Why? To bring glory to God. And so those people, especially those that maybe don't get recognition, as the pastor here, I want to say thank you. Thank you. We live in some pretty anxious times. You know, I'm coming into 2021 wanting to be enthusiastic, wanting to be excited, but underneath it, I have anxiety. And again, I give it to God, and I'm, but I'm being very open and honest with you, you know? What's this year going to bring? And, you know, you, you, you can sometimes get going down this track, you know, especially if you're on social media much and you start listening to a lot of these conspiracy theories. And this week I heard the conspiracy theory people saying that we, the non-conspiracy people, you know, there's like this big divide in the church between the conspiracy people and the non-conspiracy people. And it's like, let's not have division. You know, that's fine. I mean, I, I like listening to these ideas. I don't know. I know that many things are happening and fulfilling prophecy and scripture. There's no doubt. But one thing that I don't want to miss, and that is Jesus living in me and his spirit, allowing me to share that love, that acceptance, that grace, that forgiveness with everybody. And I hope and pray that today God will use me. Um, I'm feeling, maybe, maybe um, my wife can get me tissues because I'm going to need it today. I can, I can tell you that. Um, because it's, 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 it's heavy on my heart. You know, sometimes when you're preparing for a sermon, you just, you, you just there's so many things you want to say and you have to narrow it down. What's most important? And today, you know, I really feel like the evil one's really working hard to stop me from sharing what's on my heart. But it's going to go forward. You know, I was having all sort of problems. I was just going to print my sermon when we came here. The printer's much better than my home printer. And, of course, it wouldn't work. And I don't know what happened, but after I prayed with our teachers and stuff, I went to the office, and it was about four copies of my sermon all over the floor. The printer had spit it out, so <laughs> Hallelujah. When I was the age of my three youngest kids, probably 10, 11, 12, I had the privilege of spending all summer in America at a camp. My mother worked there, and so summers, of course, are like three months long in America when I was a kid, and you had all this time, and it went for about 10, 12 weeks of summer camps, and it was so much fun. We've got kids, my youngest girl, Hannah, is at summer camp 
right now as we speak, and I'm sure she's had a great week. You know, summer camp's a great ministry for our young people. And I was privileged enough to spend all summer there as a young kid because my mom worked there. And when I was around the age of my three youngest, I had probably the most dramatic thing I've ever witnessed happen. And um, thank you, dear. Down at the waterfront at Camp Alamisco on a beautiful lake, they had a waterfront, and the, the docks were like a square, and this side is the shoreline. And then off this side, about 20 meters off, you had a, a floating dock that was anchored down with bricks. And, you know, we had great joy swimming down that, you know, 20, 30 meters to try to reach those bricks. And, you know, it was a real achievement if you came up at the floating dock with a handful of dirt. You could prove to your mates that you did it. And so, you know, it was great times we had there. But on this day, after lunch, the practice was at this camp, the campers would go back to their cabins for a rest period. They'd just have a, about an hour after lunch just to have some rest and downtime before they started the afternoon activities. During this time, it was great for myself as a staff um, child because I could go down to the waterfront where the staff were able to go and have a swim and enjoy it without the crowds. And I'm down there, and many of the staff would go water skiing during this time. And I'm, I swam out to this floating dock, and I'm standing out there, and the, the boat's coming around with a skier. And uh, it's the camp director's son who's driving the boat, and there's a skier there. And they swing the skier in, he lets go, and heads into shore, and the boat goes right between the floating dock and the dock. Thought nothing of it, didn't see the boat slow down or anything. But as I'm standing there as a young child, and I'm looking out, I see the the water turned red. And I thought, what is that? Is that a red towel? And the next thing I see is a head pop up amongst all that red. And he managed to lift himself up. He had, he had uh, flippers and a mask on. His name was David Marchant. And David managed to pull himself up and lay flat on the dock. And I don't want to describe it too much because it's not a very nice scene, but basically the insides of his body were hanging out the side as this blade of that boat had spun him around and cut him right open. I'll never forget the cries of Joy Bray, the head lifeguard down at the waterfront, running out there with towels, placing it over the wound, trying to hold it in, and yelling at the top of her lungs, Breathe, David! Breathe! Breathe, David! Quickly, they got the camp truck, pickup truck down to the waterfront. They put a mattress in the back because this camp was miles and miles away from the closest hospital. And they headed out and met the ambulance along the way, and David was taken to the hospital. And the rest of that evening, our camp was a camp of prayer. We were prayed and we prayed. We prayed for David to survive. It didn't seem very likely from the wounds, and as a young person, you know, I was quite traumatized by what I witnessed. But I'm happy to say our prayers were answered. David had many issues in the hospital for a very long time, and I think he still has some ongoing issues due to those wounds. But um, David's still alive today. God does answer prayers. And sometimes we only go to God when we're really feeling desperate. And, of course, that was a desperate moment. 
You know, there's all sorts of other times where we think about asking God. It becomes this kind of thing. Whenever we want something, let's go to God and ask him in prayer, and he'll give us what we want. You know, it becomes a mentality that we have as Christians. I remember a story about 20 years ago I heard from Dwight Nelson. And it was about a little girl, and she was desperate for a little kitten. And, and she kept asking her mom for a kitten, and her mom says, no, no. And this little girl wanted it so bad. And so after asking her mom, she walked into the backyard, and she knelt down and started praying to God for a kitten. At that very time, from the way the story goes, on the next block over, there was a, a family that had a litter of kittens, and one of the kittens had climbed up the tree, and the dad had the clever idea to get him down. He would tie a rope and pull the tree down to reach it. And as they were pulling it down, of course, the rope broke, and the, cat, the kitten goes flying. And so as that little girl sitting there praying, you know, this kitten comes down out of the heavens. It's always amused me, that story. I have no idea if it's true or not. But, you know, often that's kind of how we approach God, you know. Give me what I want. Can he? Can he make kittens fly from the sky? If he wants, Absolutely. And if that, uh, if that story's true, I'd say it's God's certainly intervention there. You know, prayer is absolutely necessary for every one of us who claim to be Christians. And I challenge us all, how's your prayer life? Because it really is a bit of a, a measure of how you're going as a Christian. And, you know, as a pastor, my prayer life, you know, it has its ups and downs. Sometimes I, I do it more. I've never been one of those that can spend hours in prayer. And I think as I share with you now, it's not necessarily the length because actually the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. And so I almost feel like when I'm really having a good day is when I start it with God and I continue to pray as I go about my day. And my whole day has been a connection with God that I start in the morning and I end at night. You know, that's the ideal. But, of course, we get sidetracked and we get other things in our mind and God gets pushed aside and sometimes it's not that way. I brought a little something up here. Most people, probably 30 or under, won't know what this is. My two twin boys who are 12 saw this in the office before church and asked, Dad, what is that? They had no clue. And I said, well, you have to wait to church and I'll tell you. This, this might start to give it away. We, we used to refer to these like as rabbit ears. I think some of the early models were shaped more round, metal. And, and these are what were set on top of our televisions, kids. That's what we had to do. We had to get television live that came through the air. And it was very tricky because often you had real fuzzy channels and you'd have to adjust a knob on the TV and then you'd have to adjust the antenna, the rabbit ears, just in the right, point in the right direction. And finally you get it right, you don't touch it and you just leave it until something happens and whatever, the weather changes and then you gotta readjust the antenna. But the, once you got it right and you were tuned in, the channel would come through clear You'd get good reception. You'd be able to see TV. I'd like to compare that to us connecting with God. Prayer is like our rabbit ears. It's what helps us to tune in to God. And it's very necessary. It is the channel by which God works in our lives and transforms us from selfish, sinful humans to selfless, righteous humans. 
Are you righteous? Well, you know, it's a bit arrogant for any of us to say, well, I'm righteous. But the best answer to that really is to say, through Jesus, I'm righteous. Through the blood that he shed on the cross for my sins, I claim righteousness through him. And we can do that as Christians. That's the beauty of the gospel. With all the things that are happening around the world, things that are happening in our families and in our workplaces, you know, we need to be praying more than ever. And that's why we've challenged this church family. If you're just visiting today, I would still challenge you to take part. Because it certainly can't hurt to invest for the next 14 days into spending time fasting and praying. Now, we're not talking, you know, most of the times in the Bible when it talked about fasting, it was totally going without food. And I'm not asking that. I'm just asking for everyone to give up something, something you enjoy. Sacrificing that to help you focus more on God, making more room for God. That's what we want you to do. We want you to hunger more for God. So whether you give up food or maybe it's something that you enjoy, maybe it's entertainment, maybe it's social media, maybe it's uh, watching a lot of TV, whatever it might be, if you give it up, hopefully that will make room for God. And I'm challenging you to take that time to pray more. Take that time to pray, of course, for you and your walk with the Lord, but pray for us as a church, because in two weeks' time, we're launching our 2021 year, the first Sabbath of February. Every year we do that. And I'm asking for us as a church family to be coming together prayerfully and fasting to commit to God and whatever he has in store for us in 2021. What is that? Well, we don't know. But we know that God knows... And he wants to use us in a mighty way. And I'm really excited to think about what we can do if all of us are turning towards God. If we're making more room for him and we're taking part in this. You know, fasting is not something that's a requirement. It's not something that is required. It's not about you're doing this because you're being punished for your sins. That's not what fasting is about. Fasting is about us just trying to connect more with God. We find fasting right through the Bible, from the Old Testament right through the New Testament. We find it was practiced by Moses, Elijah, Daniel, David, and Jesus himself fasted. Paul fasted. And it's just a way to help improve your connection with God. It's not a duty, it's a privilege intentionally seeking for the next 14 days to put something aside to help you focus more and make more room for God. I heard a lot of our 20 and unders that led out in worship today sharing last night things that they were going to give up for the next 14 days. Scripture talks a lot about fasting, and I want to just touch on what fasting is all about. Fasting is about tuning in to the heart of God, having that heart-to-heart connection that we've so often talked about as a church. That God wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to connect with us in a personal and intimate way. And here's what Jesus says 
on his famous Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 6 about fasting. In verse 16, he says, Now when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and um, dishealed so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will get. You see, the problem is, if anything, including fasting, if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, the wrong motives, you're missing the point, and you're going to get no reward. It's all about us actually sacrificing ourselves, trusting God more, having faith in Him. It's not about us looking good to our peers and to our, our, um, those, our teachers or our parents or whoever it might be. It's about us being open and honest and authentic. If we read on in verse 17 and 18, Jesus says, But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. So in other words, don't make it obvious. If you're fasting and you're going without food, you know, don't look so much that people say, What's wrong with you? No, look your best. And then no one will notice that you're fasting except your Father who knows what you are doing in private. And your Father who sees everything will reward you. And again, the motive for fasting is not to be rewarded, but God promises if we go about it in the right motives that we will be rewarded. We're not doing it to show off. And we are going to give the opportunity for some people to share about their experience with fasting. But again, let's not be doing it for the wrong reasons. Let's not do it to show off. We're making room for God, to have more of God. That's why we want to do it. To tune into God better. This is really, fasting and prayer are very much connected. Because it's about us fasting so that we can build our relationship with God. How do we have a relationship with God? Well, it's a two-way thing. We pray and He speaks to us. It's a two-way experience. What is prayer? Well, talking to God. Well, that's only part of it. Prayer is about us tuning our heart, having that heart-to-heart connection with God. You know, the definition of actually tuning is this. Bring into harmony, to tune something, to bring into harmony, to adjust the precise function, intensity, or effectiveness. Isn't this what we want to tune into God in that way? You know, for those who are musical and when you tune an instrument I'm not musical I don't know much about it but that's really what it's about if we can tune in so that we are in tune with God that's got to be a good thing doesn't it often Christians look at prayer as something you must do you know I have to pray because I'm a Christian and again if that's kind of the feelings you've got I would challenge you to reevaluate your thinking about it where is God in your relationship with Him? Is He this person that's up there demanding you and ruling you and, and, and taking control over you? Or is He a God that loves you despite your mistakes? Loves you no matter what? And that He's there to care for you, to always be there for you? You see the picture? 
This is the way we should think about it. The all-powerful creator of the universe wants to have a personal relationship with you. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to share your thoughts and your feelings and your heartaches with him. And he also wants to talk to you. So don't fill your prayers up with so much babble, 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 babble that you don't actually take some time to listen to him. And often that might be in your quiet time when you hear the quiet voice. And maybe when you're praying, he might put someone's name in your head, you know? Don't, you know that, don't think, oh, that's just a random thought. God actually uses that time. When you're tuning into him, you know, he's put that person there for a reason. Take time, pray for that person. Ask God to be with that person. You know, God, he knows what's happening with everybody. It's, it's mind-blowing to think that he's that sort of God that can actually know about ins and outs of every one of our lives, not only here in this church, but right around the world. But that's the all-powerful God that we serve. And he wants to lead you into the fullness of life. He wants to grow you to be all that you can be. And that's what prayer is about. So we don't have to, we get to. Do you get that? We don't have to pray, we get to pray. If we change looking at it that way, it will become a whole new practice in the way we go about it. It's a privilege. So how do we pray? Well, Jesus, on his Sermon on the Mount, just a little bit before this section that we read about fasting, he talks about how we pray. And... Um, we're mostly familiar with this. It's, it's a very well-known prayer. But this is really a bit of the um, framework of how we are to, to pray. And sure, you can pray this word for word. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, I think more of actually seeing the framework, the things that Jesus is teaching when he says this is how you should pray. And we find this in Matthew 6, verses 5 and 6. It says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, who love to pray publicly on the street corners in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. Now let me make it clear. I don't think Jesus is teaching us that prayers need to be something secret. You know, um, if you look back at Daniel... He prayed three times a day in front of an open window. You know, the point here is not about it being secret, but it's more or less the motives. You know, don't do it just to be seen. The practice then where people would get on the street corners when Jesus' day, and they would pray these mighty, awesome prayers. But they were shallow and empty. They meant nothing because the heart of those people were not praying to have a heart-to-heart -heart connection with their Creator. They were just showing off. We find this very clearly, and I don't think I'm going to read it, but I'll, I challenge you to read Luke 18. Will you read Luke, Luke 18 this afternoon or evening? Take some time and read through Luke 18 prayerfully, because this whole chapter is really about prayer. And, uh, you know, first it starts out with this bit of a parable about the unjust judge. And basically what God is saying is don't stop praying. He says, because he's not like this unjust judge that finally gives them what they want because they're sick of hearing him. God never gets sick of hearing our prayers. He never gets sick of it. Never stop praying. You know, I think of my dear mother. 
and I remember many times she would pray through the night. And most of the time she was praying for us three kids. Because all three of us, myself and my older brother and sister, all kind of went astray. But you know, my mother, she's gone waiting for the second coming now. And I'm going to see her again. But I'm proud to say that, you know, I'm up here preaching God's words because of my mom's prayers. They were answered. She was consistent. She kept praying. And God has worked in my life in amazing ways the last 25 years here in Australia. I never would have dreamed what God would do in my life. And he will do that for you. God knows. My brother's 20 years now clean from alcohol and drugs after a long, long lifetime of addictions. Loves the Lord. Goes to church regularly. My sister, she's a Pathfinder leader in my home church back in Birmingham, Alabama. You know, she's, she, she loves the Lord too. Those prayers. Parents especially, you know, don't ever stop praying for your kids. I know you won't. Keep praying. Keep praying. But as you read on there in Luke 18 and verse 9, you get this story where Jesus tells about the two men who came to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, a priest, we might call him, the other a tax collector. And it tells us how that Pharisee stood up the front of the church and said how good he was, how he did all the right things. He went to church every Sabbath. He, he, he studied his Sabbath school lesson. He fasted twice a week. You know, he listed all the things he did. While this tax collector stood in the back, and the Bible says he looked down and beat on his chest and said, Father, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And there in Luke 18, it says, this man, this tax collector in the back, he's the one that went away from that church that day justified. He's the one that went away forgiven. Why? Because he had a heart-to-heart -heart connection with his creator. He wasn't playing church. He was experiencing true, authentic forgiveness for sins. So let's not keep our prayers a secret, but let's do have private prayer because I do believe that is one of the most important things as a Christian is when we are one-on-one -on -one with God. You know, when I'm a pastor and I'm up here praying for our teachers, you know, it's, I, I don't want to sound ignorant or dumb, so I, I try to say the right things, but you know, when I'm praying on my own, sometimes I do sound like maybe a little toddler, you know? I'm saying, Lord, help me. Lord, I've blown it again. Lord, I've been thinking these bad thoughts. Lord, I got angry at this person on the road. Lord, I had this, whatever your struggle might be. You know, you've got to just be authentic and give it to God. How is he going to grow you and help you to overcome? How is he going to start to produce the fruits of the Spirit in your life and you being connected if you don't just open up and admit it? God needs to hear. And I think there's real therapy in that, you know. Counseling is a great thing. If you need a counselor, I encourage you to go see a counselor. But, but God is actually a counselor that's always there. We don't have to make an appointment and wait till we can see the counselor. Anytime we can go to him in prayer. And actually us talking to him does great wonders. Just us hearing ourselves speak to our creator God. There's a lot of healing in that. Being raw. It doesn't have to be complicated. Keep it simple. It doesn't have to be long. 
but be honest. God knows your heart. We shouldn't try to impress him. He's already impressed with us. He already loves you more than you could ever know. There's nothing you could do to actually make him love you more. We don't have to impress him. We don't have to fear that we're not good enough. He only wants what's best. He's like the perfect loving parent that only wants to care for us. Not babbling on and on. We don't have to try to get God's attention. God's already impressed. You're his child. The verse in Jeremiah, I think it might have been shared earlier. Oh, I missed this one. I do want to touch on this verse because I love Romans 8 where it says this. Because, you know, when I pray, sometimes it just doesn't seem to come out right. You know, I want to pray and I just don't seem to have the right words. And here in Romans 8 is a great promise where it tells us that the Holy Spirit's there. He knows our weakness. He knows what we need to say. And He takes our prayers as long as we are being authentic and honest. He knows our heart and He takes them and presents them to God perfect. You know, to me that's a a beautiful thing. And then here in Jeremiah 13.3 it says, Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great hidden things that you have not known. You know, this two-way relationship is built on prayer. We need to listen to God. That's what it's about. Two-way. This framework of prayer that we're going to go on and read is, is really what the Lord's Prayer is all about. Let's go through this quickly. It says, Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Now, our God is a loving Father. You know, and I know that many of us maybe have grown up and maybe didn't have a loving Father. I do want to share, and I'll get my tissue ready, because um, my father, who's 86, is battling with COVID right now as we speak. But as I reflect back, my dad wasn't perfect, but he was a good father. I love my father. But, you know, he wasn't perfect, but I have a heavenly father that is perfect. And he's the perfect heavenly father for every one of us. And that's what we start by praying, God. You are my Abba Father. He cares about your every need. He wants what's best for you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to lead you and guide you. You know, parents out there, you know, as we watch our children grow, oh, he wants what's best for them. You know, and it's exciting. It's great to see them grow, even though sometimes you just wish they'd stay that little size. But, you know, you don't want them to stay that. You really want them to grow to be all God's got for him what a great privilege it is to be a parent what a great privilege as we read on in verse 10 may your kingdom come soon may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven God Help us to want what you want. That's what this is saying. Because often we try to say, 
tell God what we want. But, you know, God, he knows what's best. And we have to trust him. And so whenever we pray, we pray, God, for his will. This is so important. And if we want what he wants, then we know that that is what's best for us. The truth is that if we pray for God's will to be done, he will never disappoint us. God's plan is perfect. His ways are flawless. We're praying because we're trying to get in alignment with his wishes, not ours. We're trying to get ourselves aligned with him. Him who wants to change us and make us into all that he's created us to be. So let's trust his will. There's great power in prayer. In James 5, 16, Scripture says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. You know, none of us are perfect, but as I said earlier, we are righteous through Christ. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of Christ. But we, as Christians, are washed clean through Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. Let's get our hearts right with him daily. And that's really what this next verse in this great prayer is about. Give us today the food we need. Now, I don't know about you, but I like food. You know, <laughs> I enjoy the pleasure of eating, and it is, most of us do, you know, it's a real privilege. But then I also might think about, well, is this only talking about food, you know, because God, I've got a lot more needs than just food, you know. What about the bills i got to pay, you know? What about the mortgage? What about the, the new car I need to replace or, you know, whatever it means, you know. What about those things? You know, what it, what it is, is I examine myself. I'm rich and greedy when I start thinking that way. And us as Australians in a country that is wealthy, we are wealthier than the majority of the world. We should not be complaining. We should be the most generous, thankful people on this earth. And right now, in 2021, probably more than anywhere, I mean, I'm so thankful that I'm living in Australia. You know, I certainly am an Australian citizen and claim to be Australian. And I feel for my family and friends back in America. You know, it's, it's tough there. It's tough. God wants to provide, not for your wants, but for your needs. Remember, he will always provide for you. As we read on, and this is really important, this is something I really want to drive home because... This, if you don't get this, you miss it all. Because our prayers without this are really not heard. And this is verse 12. It says, And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. So in other words, Lord, help me to live as a forgiven forgiver. Did you get that? Help me to live as a forgiven forgiver. I 
want to live forgiven, don't you? You know, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. We, you know, that's a great truth of the gospel. But the enemy wants you to be dragged down with guilt and shame. And Jesus tells us to pray in a way that says that we know that we are forgiven. I'm clean. My sins have been washed away. I don't have to carry guilt of my past. God's shown me mercy. But he says here, he expects us to show the same forgiveness and mercy to others. Those that don't deserve it. Those that have done us wrong. Those who have hurt us. This is where it gets hard. God says clearly, if you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. We have to forgive. And trying to pray with unforgiveness is trying to, it's like trying to start a fire underwater. It, it can't be done, really. This is so important that Jesus repeats it just after what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Two verses down in verse 14, he actually says it again. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Pretty important, huh? And as we finish the prayer in verse 13, going back up to the verse above it, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Rescue us from the evil. Do we need rescuing? Absolutely. You know, this is one of the greatest revelations in my life when I finally realized that I wasn't fighting against the evil one. Because most of my life, I was trying to do it by my own willpower, and I kept failing because the devil is no foe for me. He, he, he has me beat hands down. But when I realized the great controversy is not between me and the evil one, the great controversy is between God and Satan. And at the cross, Jesus died and was resurrected, and he won. And so all I have to do is choose to be on his side. And so today, I testify I choose to be on his side, and I hope you do as well. We're all tempted. You know, sin can be tempting. The evil one, all he wants to do is bring down as many with him as he can. But God says, hey, you don't have to go down with him. You know, if you're depending on your flesh, if you're depending on doing it by your own strength, I don't think any of us stand a chance. Because sin leads us further and further away from God and results in pain and heartache and suffering. The only hope against sin is to let God deal with it. Choose to be on his side. Well, I want to bring this to a conclusion. I've probably gone longer than I should have, but I, I do feel that the message today is so important. Whether you're just a young person here, a toddler, right up to an older person. I'm sure we have people here in their 80s and 90s. Our oldest member, I think, is in the 100s, but is not attending church. But, you know, we all need to trust God daily. And our theme for this year is we, we start fasting these 14 days leading up to our um, vision day on the 6th of February. It's really about us walking the way. This is our theme for the year. Walking the way. And what does Jesus say? 
Well, in, in uh, John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So that loving Father that loves us so much, that cares for us, is the perfect Father. The only channel, the only way we can get to him is through Jesus. And I'm so glad that Jesus has made that sacrifice for you and me. And so as we close, we're going to sing um, after we kind of say goodbye to those that are watching us on live stream. We're going to sing here again, Waymaker. I'm going to invite our beautiful young people back up here. And, and you know, this song really is kind of ties in what our theme of the year is about. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Walking the way. As Christians, let's keep looking to Jesus. And let's make the next 14 days a real connection time with him.